It's all the files of the whole park. It tells her everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Two-factor authentication is simple and easy to use, right? Whenever you log into your email, work account, or social media platform, you get a text message or an email asking you to confirm your identity. It's easy and it's safe and we're all using it, right? Right? Well, the numbers, they don't look so good. Today we have a very important topic to discuss, how to upgrade your security with multi-factor authentication, or MFA. So we're going to start out with the fundamentals of what MFA is and why we need it. Two-factor authentication adds an additional layer of security to protect your Epic Games account. Additionally, it allows you to take advantage of features we offer through our products, such as participating in competitive events in Fortnite. We offer three options to choose from, using an authenticator app on your smartphone, SMX texting on your phone, or through your email address. Information security professionals are always trying to get their clients to adopt multi-factor authentication, but the clients don't seem to be listening. Twitter recently disclosed that the number of accounts using two-factor is only 2.3%. That's a depressingly tiny number, especially given the amount of high-profile security breaches we've seen lately. A recent T-Mobile data breach is said to affect almost 50 million customers. Here to walk us through the merits of 2FA and perhaps explain why so few people are adopting it is Rachel Toback. Toback is a hacker and the CEO of Social Proof Security, a company that aims to get your organization politely paranoid. I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so I'll ask a real basic question up front. Can you explain the basics of two-factor authentication? Is there anything I kind of left out in that intro that you think we need to know? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So I would want to break down what the whole factor thing is about because not everybody just knows that naturally. So two-factor authentication, also sometimes called 2FA, it helps a person securely log in with more than just, say, their username and password. So the concept of factor in two-factor authentication is that we want to use more than one method of proving that we are who we say we are when we're going ahead and logging in. So when we log in, the username and password is one factor, and that's something that you know. There are other common factors we can use in addition to something you know, for instance, something you have and something you are. An example of something that you have is something like your smartphone, for instance. So after you use your username and password to log in, you've probably encountered that you need to prove you are indeed yourself using that username and password by clicking something like a, was that you logging in prompt? You've probably seen this from Gmail, you know, Google does this, um, or maybe you use Duo or something like that. So I want to also break down something that you are, because this is also probably something that you've used in your life. This is another factor. And this is the factor of biometrics. So something like a thumbprint, a retina scan, face scan, something like that. Maybe you use this, um, after you purchase something on iCloud, for instance, you hold it up to your face or you put your thumbprint down. So you can enter in your username and password, then you scan your finger and prove it as you entering those credentials. And it's important to recognize that a username and password plus something like a knowledge-based question, also sometimes referred to as KBA, something like, what's your phone number? What's your email address, your address, your birthday, your social security number? All that stuff, that is not two-factor authentication. It's the same factor twice. It's something that you know, and then something that you know. 
And this is something that I don't recommend. <laughs> so we see a lot of companies who use KBA, knowledge-based authentication, rather than MFA, multi-factor authentication, the umbrella that holds 2FA, two-factor authentication. So is this a security silver bullet? So uh, no, <laughs> there are no security silver bullets. I, I hate to say that. I would be lying if I said that any single tool was 100% perfect for all people in all cases at all times. That being said, 2FA is the closest tool that I would say we have to a silver bullet when it comes to login authentication and avoiding account takeover, which is when another person gets access to your account. For instance, you've probably had a friend who had their Instagram taken over at some point um, and lost access to that. So these are real serious common issues, things that everyday people encounter. You don't have to be you know, a famous streamer, a celebrity, a politician to have your Insta taken over, for instance. So um, these are real and they have real world impact. And we have real world data from Google that proves that two-factor authentication really does work. But not all of the two-factor methods are equally secure. And we also have to take into account threat models, use cases, accessibility here when we're making recommendations for each person. Because if I'm if I recommend to you that you use a security key and you're not comfortable with the technology, you're going to stop using it and you're going to be less secure. So just to give you a little breakdown, there are three pretty standard 2FA methods. You probably encountered SMS codes, device prompts, and security keys. You might not have encountered that one before. You've probably seen the word YubiKey or Google Titan Key if you've heard of security keys before. So SMS codes, these are super, super easy to set up. They're accessible. They're cheap. They require the least amount of technology or skill sets to use. And for the vast majority of people, these are going to be stopping attacks. So Google's account takeover data from 2019 shows and proves that SMS codes, this form of two-factor, they stop 100% of automated bot attacks when they're just, you know, automating the attacks coming to your inbox or your account and 96% of bulk phishing attacks, which is something like we call this credential stuffing. When you have a leaked password database, you know, let's say your movie streaming website gets uh, breached and now there's a big dump of passwords somewhere online and they're just using that dump to attack you. Um, and it stops about 76% of targeted attacks. So that's like, okay, I want to hack you. I'm going to come up with a super specific uh, pretext or who I'm pretending to be. So the reason why SMS codes are only at that 76% level is because if I can trick you into giving me your username and password, then I can also trick you into giving me your SMS two-factor code. It's trickable. It's fishable. Right. But there's also a big difference between threat models. Right. Yes. Like most people, most people walking around are are a low threat model, right? Yeah. So I would say that threat models are something that I would want everybody to consider. So for instance, your threat model really depends on how much you are in the public eye. So if you wanted to determine, you know, am I in an elevated threat model situation? I would first ask yourself, am I in the public eye or are there people who harass me? And if you answered yes to either of those questions right off the bat, I would say you're in an elevated threat model. So for example, let's say you have an abusive ex-partner or you talk openly about being a, a well-known cryptocurrency person on TikTok or you stream Fortnite on Twitch or you're running for the head of school council or you have like a million followers on Instagram, right? These are all different examples of elevated threat models. So 
These are people like executives, streamers, influencers, people with a lot of followers, journalists, activists, or anybody who you think might have beef with you. So if you think that there's people who are harassing you and you notice that they are, then I would say you probably want to move towards a more secure method, something like a security key. But I would say the vast majority of people don't fall into that threat model. The vast majority of people, um, they uh, might keep more to themselves. Maybe they're more reserved or they um, don't use technology super frequently. And so for those folks, SMS two-factor, I feel is perfectly a reasonable recommendation. Now, this is a contentious thing in information security, uh, but I think it's important that we meet people where they're at. And for some folks, where they're at and their threat model is SMS two-factor for right now. Right. The, one of the reasons we we reached out to you is because you had this great kind of Twitter thread that was not just about 2FA, but was also about the way that security experts communicate 2FA to people and how it seems like, and based on the numbers, that they're kind of failing to impress why it's important. Why do you, What do you think is going on there? Yeah, I think it's a communication problem, honestly. Um we know that Twitter released that data that in their account security report, only 2.3% of all Twitter accounts had 2FA enabled. Um, and of that, of that 2.3%, 79.6% had SMS two-factor enabled. So um, we in the InfoSec bubble, I think we think of two-factor authentication as obvious, as like something that everybody's heard before. And that's just simply not the case. It's not accurate. We know that Twitter can't be generalized to other tools because Twitter is Twitter, right? There's bots there. Some people make fake accounts or they just want to watch and lurk. Uh, and they're not going to set up two-factor for those accounts that they deem low priority. But still, there's a lot of Twitter users and 2.3% is still pretty low for, for what we'd expect and hope. So I think it's a communication challenge. I think it's that we don't always eliminate jargon when we're communicating to the general public. And I think for a lot of specific people, they think, why would somebody come after little old me? I don't have anything that they're looking for. And they don't realize that they have plenty that an attacker would want. They have a bank account. They have credit cards. They have sensitive work details. Maybe they um, have admin access at work or something like that. And many times we're looking for a way into a specific company or maybe you're friends with someone we're targeting, right? I'm, a, I'm an ethical hacker, so I don't just go after people willy-nilly, but I want people to understand that just because you're thinking, you know, why would they come after little old me? Sometimes you just get tied up in like a credential stuffing attack. And it's not that we're coming after little old you. We haven't even really thought about you. You're just in a list of 100,000 emails and, and passwords that we have. And so we're going to try them. Well, and there's also the, I don't know what else, what else to call it, but the laziness factor. So I know that if I've got, you know, like a DoorDash account, do I really want to go through the bother of setting up 2FA on that? You know, I have, we've all got all of these passwords and all of these place spaces we're connected to digitally. How do we kind of assess which things we need to protect this way and which things we kind of just let go? Yeah. I think the word I would use rather than laziness is fatigue. I think people are tired. They have. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think they have so many passwords. They have um, so many accounts that they use. They hear about hacking in the news. It's so stressful that they might just turn their brain off almost in a, in a reaction to say, I can't handle it. Like, this is too much for me. A lot of people say, I'm not a tech person. You know, like this is just not for me. So if they're going to come after me, they're going to come after me. Uh, and 
I think that's people feeling scared, that's people feeling exhausted by all of this stuff. And it's our job as information security professionals to say, hey, I got your back. Let me help you set this up. And let's make it as quick as possible and really update the UX UI experience for this and make sure that people understand the steps to do and they feel automatic because right now it feels like an afterthought for a lot of different accounts. And people might ask, you know, this is like a low value account for me. And then when it gets stolen, they're like, well, that really stinks because now this person has my address or you know, my phone number, or they have all the information about my menstrual cycle, right? There's all these apps that people use and they don't realize quite how much data they're sharing and what that means for an attacker. So you're an advocate for 2FA on everything, on everybody's accounts, anywhere it's available. I would say anywhere it's available, you're going to want to go ahead and set that up. And I know that it can be obnoxious sometimes, but there's a lot of data that you share with these services. And you might not think it's that big of a deal, but you probably don't want it out there on the internet, even if it feels kind of low priority. But I understand that not everybody's going to follow that advice to the letter, right? So I would just ask yourself, what have I shared with this service, this app, this website? Was it my address, my t-shirt size, um, my, uh, my dating profile? You know, Whatever it is that you've shared, ask yourself, is this something that I would personally broadcast on my Instagram or my Twitter? Would I take a screenshot of this and post it everywhere? If the answer is no, then I would probably secure that with two-factor authentication. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, can we go back and talk about methods again just a little bit? Can you explain how the keys work a little bit more in depth? And can, is there any reason or is there any specific account that someone who's got a low threat model should use a key for? Sure. Okay. So the first thing that I want to walk through are the different types of two-factor. So we'll get to keys here. Um, and like I mentioned, it does depend a lot on your threat model, but it also depends on your level of comfort with technology because you know there are downsides. Like a, a a key can be lost, for instance, or it could be confusing or it could snap in half. You know, there are downsides to everything. So I would say for most people, SMS two-factor is much better than nothing. This is for most folks. For some folks, SMS two-factor can actually be dangerous because of a thing called SIM swapping. And let's say you're a well-known streamer or something like that. I could call up your telco and convince them over the phone that I'm you and I need to port your phone number to my attacker-controlled phone. Now I can grab those SMS two-factor codes and I can gain access to your account, locking you out. So if you have accounts that you're really trying to protect uh, and you're in the public eye, you're a streamer, exec, politician, journalist, you're being harassed, whatever, you're probably going to want to use a method that isn't fishable, so I can't grab it from you, and isn't SIM swappable. I can't contact somebody else on your behalf, quote unquote, 
and still access your account. So you'd probably want to use something like a security key. And how this works is you plug it into your device and you prove that it is indeed you. There's a number of ways that this happens. You can push a button, it's like a little biometric thing for your finger, or just putting it into your device. And they work. I mean, they they shut out all of the targeted attacks. We know that from the Google research. So if you're being targeted, if you're the type of person in the public eye, you're going to want to use one of those. And they're cheap too. I want to stress that. Like, I think the the one that Google recommends is like 30 bucks. Yeah. So I would say cheap is relative. Um, I, I actually feel that security keys aren't super accessible for folks. Um, and we see that from the data, right? Uh, the The data from Twitter, I can actually grab it. I think I have it up. Of that 2.3% of people who use two-factor authentication on Twitter, only 0.5% of that 2.3% had a security key enabled. So that's like InfoSec Twitter, and that's it. Security keys can be confusing. They can be lost. They can be a little stressful sometimes. They can get bent. And they are more expensive than other methods of two-factor, like SMS is free. The Google authentication app is free. And you're you know, paying for something, waiting for it to arrive. All that stuff can feel like significant barriers to folks. And things that might feel accessible to you and I might not feel accessible to the general public. So I would actually say we have a long way to go uh, for accessibility there, but I, I, I'm hopeful. All right. So how do we, in you know, perhaps kind of lean on your experience here, how do we get people to adopt this more? What are those conversations like? Yeah, I would say that often people don't adopt security tools like two-factor because they don't have a variety of things. They don't have the education on it, that it exists. They might not have access to those tools. They might not have the tech skills to use them. And they also might not understand the why. Like, why would I use this? And like I mentioned, a lot of people just think that they won't be a target. So a lot of times what I do when I'm actually doing like community outreach, my friends and family, the people that I love and, and the people that are around me um, on a day-to-day basis, those people, I sit down with them and I say, okay, how would I hack you? Let's walk through it. What accounts do you have? What access do you have? What sensitive details do you have access to at work? Okay, here's why I might target you or here's why I might not target you. And depending on your threat model and what you're looking for in terms of security and accessibility, let's talk through what would be the least obnoxious two-factor authentication method. We have to be real with people. You know, even me as a security professional, sometimes I get that prompt for multi-factor authentication. And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I have to get up and go get this across the room. And I really don't want to do that right now. It's obnoxious. It's an extra step. That's not fun. And we have to level with people and say, I get it. It's more work. And I know you don't want to do that because you got a lot going on, but you know, it's going to be more work than getting up and getting your key or your phone or whatever tool you're using, getting hacked and having to deal with the repercussions of that. So let's go ahead and set this up for you. Are there any common mistakes you see uh, security professionals make when they're trying to communicate this to people? Definitely. I think one of the biggest challenges for InfoSec folks is we're really in our bubble, right? So when we're communicating security tools to the general public, we might accidentally use too much jargon. We get stuck in the weeds. You'll see us arguing or pointing out which two-factor method is best, which things shouldn't be used. You'll hear InfoSec folks say, SMS two-factor is dead. It should never be used, which is hilarious, frankly, because the real-world data shows that almost nobody uses two-factor at all. And of those people on Twitter, 
almost 80% of them use SMS two-factor. So you have one group of people saying, it's dead, never use it, without clearly explaining that, yes, there are concerns, and, and yes, it might not be a match for your threat model, and that's real. But we have to talk to people where they're at. We have to meet them where they're at and say, hey, for you, uh, for your skills, for the accessibility that you have and what you're comfortable with, let's talk through what's uh, what's a good option for you. And harm reduction is really what's most essential. So how do we make it the least painful for people? And SMS two-factor, like I mentioned, isn't for everyone. It's not for everyone's threat models. It can be more dangerous for people who um, are very sim swappable or in the public eye. But most people aren't in the public eye. Most people aren't a famous Twitch streamer, right? So it'll block the vast majority of the cyber attacks coming their way. And us ignoring that reality does not keep real world people safer. All right. So with all that in mind, how do we get more people to recognize that 2FA is the way to go? So like I mentioned, there's many reasons why people don't use 2FA and we need to address each one. So one major reason is because people are doing things that we don't expect them to do with their accounts and services. So for instance, kids, one of the major reasons why they don't use 2FA is they don't maybe have a phone uh, or maybe they do things like sharing accounts. And when you do that behavior, it's not an expected or preferred behavior by the company. And so they don't set up good UX uh, options for 2FA there. But kids share their gaming accounts with their friends and 2FA doesn't allow them to use that in conjunction with this behavior. Like I mentioned, we have to meet people where they're at. So maybe we can set up something like a authorized family and friends gaming situation for those accounts. We just need to understand what they're doing and why and match their behavior there. And then we have to work on things like clear education, messaging, access to these tools within things like schools. Like this should be taught in middle and high school, I think. Workplaces, community centers, we have to lower the barriers to education and access and success. And then we have to help people. We have to actually go in there and say, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, set this up together. And then finally, I think Google is doing something that's really interesting. They're taking their research, they're taking a subset of Gmail users, and they're just enforcing 2FA for them. And they're going to see what happens with that subset. Um, I'm pretty excited to see what happens because this is probably the first like major mandatory 2FA experiment out in the wild. I don't, I don't think we've seen this before. I mean, some organizations do require it, but not for people who use the product like Gmail, like that's ubiquitous. That's everywhere. So I think we're going to learn a lot about what they see with that mandatory 2FA experiment. And I hope that we can use those learnings across services that we all use every day. Sorry, I didn't know about that. That's that's super interesting. Yeah. How long have they been doing it? Do we know? And like, how did they pick who's getting 2FA enforced? Do we know any of that? Yeah. So Mark Risher, he's the, I believe, the director of product for security at Google. He put out a statement in May, May of 2021, and basically said, hey, we're going to try uh, taking a subset of people who already have phone numbers, I believe, set up. So it's people who, who have already set up their Google workspace in such a way that they can be enrolled in, in two-step verification. That's what they call it. So if you don't have that ability to be automatically enrolled, I don't think it's going to automatically enroll you. But if you have those credentials set up that way, I think it's going to, which is pretty exciting to test. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how all of that shakes out for them. Yeah. Rachel Toback, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. You are a white hat hacker and the CEO of Social Proof Security. Yes, thank you so much for talking with me about 2FA today. I'll talk about it any day. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 